And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished and saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter's son, Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And not these sisters with her? And they took offense. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in the hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villagers teaching. Heavenly Father, this morning, indeed you are faithful to us. If only we could return a little bit of that faithfulness to you. We ask God that your spirit dwells in our heart and drives us towards you, Lord. May we be able to declare that indeed because you love us, that we return a love to you. That we know that inside the prayer, inside the moment, inside our moments right now, that you are with us. We ask this in Jesus' most precious and beautiful name. Amen. There's something really beautiful about prayer, right? It's just, it's just really, really beautiful when you be able to. My microphone in and out. It is. Does that mean that it's all good? All right. We'll see how it goes. I do enjoy it, though. I do enjoy prayer, and I do enjoy the ability for us to be able to... It just cut out a game. Maybe uh, we should move from Duracell to EverReady. Because EverReady says that they're always ready. Oh, oh. That could be me. No. Not me. Happy New Year. All right. Good. Is there a little bit of a feedback going on here? I can feel like a high-pitched noise is about to enter my ears as well as yours. And I don't want everybody sitting down like, oh, any moment now it's going up. You know how that kind of anxious feeling is? Yeah. I would rather we didn't have that anxious feeling. Here we go. All right. Well, good. I feel better now. You guys feel better? I still feel like there's a little ring at the top up there. We'll let Kevin work on that, um, and I'll continue here. <laughs> well, there is something beautiful about prayer, for no doubt about that at all. And uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Luke, last week, when he did the blessing, I saw a few people turn their heads around, hoping to see the words up on the screens up there. But Luke memorized the entire blessing, uh, which has laid the kind of gold standard down for Dennis Bartz today. Where's Dennis sitting? Yes. Good luck, my friend. Um, and so, but Luke memorized it, which is beautiful. When he, when he said the blessing, it just flowed from his heart, and I thank him for that. There's something really beautiful as well about the prayer that time that we had up here with Robin. And Robin, we are going to hold you in prayer every day and for Wednesday as well, and we know that God will be with you. And his angels will be with those doctors in the hospital, and uh, God will bless everything that's taking place there. Um, I went and saw Gene Stafford uh, on Thursday night. He broke his ankle a couple of days ago. He was at the medical center of the Rockies up near Loveland. And... Uh, uh, he's doing well, 
good spirit. They didn't even put him under. They just injected him and he said he could feel that they were doing something down there in his mind, but he couldn't feel anything physically, which is a great skill that they have. Um, and I'm glad for that as well. And I, before we enter into the message as well, I just want to thank the strings. Weren't they beautiful? Yeah, yeah, they were wonderful. Good, good, yeah. I hope that we'll see them a lot more and they'll take part in that. So, we continue our series today and it's on safety nets. Safety nets is a series that we're continuing and we're looking at Mark chapter 6. And maybe you had a chance to be able to read it. And if you haven't, uh, then grab the card in front of you and make sure you're able to do so next week for the passage as well. Mark is under rapid fire. His gospel, when he writes stuff, there's not even a moment for you to breathe. You just go, 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 go. And there are three stories inside the passage today. The first one is... Jesus returns to Nazareth. I remember the very first sermon that I ever preached in my life. Um, I wrote everything out on a piece of paper, on lots of pieces of paper, and I, because we didn't have computers in those days, so we had to write everything out on pieces of paper. Um, I recorded it. I still have the cassette tape. I know that you don't know what that is, but that's okay. A cassette tape that has the sermon on it. And I was standing in the back of the church, you know, in this little, little room. It was a kitchen because we rented it from the Quakers in London. And so uh, we had no vestry and they didn't need one. So we had none. And at some point, somebody opened the door rather violently in this very small kitchen. And all my sermon went flying across the floor. Lesson 302 number your pages. That I did not. I was preaching on the second coming of Christ and I remember sliding the page over and suddenly thinking to myself in that split second that this made no sense whatsoever. The page order was wrong. I didn't have the common sense or the wherewithal to say, <coughs> let me just fix this for one second. I just continued. <laughs> And I think the members, you know, just kind of pieced their own sermon together that day. Well, I think he was saying this. I will say this, that this is my home church, and it's the same home church that uh, many, many years before, a preacher got up and was preaching a sermon and then decided to stop. And he stopped, and he walked all the way to the back of the church, and nobody woke up for about 10 minutes. <laughs> And after the silence, they thought, <clears throat> I think the sermon's over. And then they woke up and he came forward again. And so that was my home church. Um, it was a, a wonderful experience as a child. Um, but yeah, no, they realized that I had done this and it had moved on. But in those days, you know, we, we weren't called pastors when we were an intern. We were called Mr. de Oliveira um, until the day you were ordained. And to say the least, it was a bit of a rough experience to begin in that way because they sent me back to my home church when I first started ministry. Now that's a no-no. You never send your, them back to your home church because we read the Bible. You're not welcome at your home. And so we did, they sent them there, and it was, it was a, a rather awkward couple of years in my life, and, uh, and someday I'll tell you some more of the stories inside there uh, involved in there. But you notice in the story of Mark that they don't say a single word negative about Jesus because he must have been an amazing boy inside that town. No, 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 their concern is that he was a carpenter, and this carpenter now comes back with such wisdom and strength. I wish that was my problem when I went back to my home church. I had strength, but no wisdom. And so I went back there and survived, but Jesus comes back, and he has wisdom and strength, and it was just phenomenal, and they couldn't handle it. He was faithful to the good news, and they couldn't handle it. Story number two 
Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, knowing just how to tell the good news and the reactions to the good news, he knew that they should go out two by two. I was sitting with uh, the pastors, actually. At, uh, we had the retreat that Pastor Craig Carr pulled together for all the pastors in Rocky Mountain Conference this earlier this week. And we had a couple of days together, and I was talking to a couple of the ministers and saying, I wish that we always did ministry in pairs, that we always did it in teams. It can be rough when you're out there by yourself. When you're doing ministry at any type of shape or form, any level in the church, you should always be doing it in teams. And we do do that. I wish, in fact, that our schools worked better together. Huh. Just imagine if there was two schools that were only a couple of minutes apart from each other. <sighs> What's that name? Brighton and Vista Ridge. I know, I know. We won't talk about that either. But just imagine if they did work together, how phenomenal they would be. We should pick it. Um, so, being in a team. Being a team is much better. Jesus knew this. He sent them out that way. The third story is the story of the death of John the Baptist. Nothing's really recorded about John's final moments. What well, we do know that in the reading that he was steady and he was strong because of the good news, the gospel life of John. And we talked about this last week a little bit. He did not reject the news. When John heard the good news, there was nothing that he could do but share it. It sustained him. It kept him faithful to the end. In fact, John the Baptist understood that Jesus was the house of meat and the house of bread altogether. The good news was the bread of life. Now, there are some breads out there. In fact, I think Pastor Jay, on his way, has a little surprise for all the kids, and he's going to come back with that surprise. And what I will encourage all the other parents and the people close by, if they're not your child, step away. Just resist and let the kids enjoy this particular moment. Now, I'm a huge fan, and I, I, you can tell me this, I'm a huge fan of German bread. Anybody like German bread? See, German bread is good bread. It's hearty bread. You, yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I have to admit this, and I hate to admit this in public, but I also like French bread. <laughs> I wish I could say that I like English bread, but we don't really have English bread. We just go across the border, get it from France, bring it back, and say, we'll say it without an accent. <laughs> but we do have a little piece of bread. I mean, we have a loaf called the Hovis loaf. And it's, they sell it in the supermarkets, and it's really nice. But it's not as good as the German bread, or dare I say it again, the French bread. <laughs> you know, it's just fantastic when you have bread that doesn't really need a spread on it, when you don't need to add butter or jam or Marmite. You just know the bread tastes really good on its own. It's brilliant bread. And when you add toppings to that bread, then it takes you to cloud nine. Then you're like, wow, that was good bread, and the topping was great. We are in heaven right now. And so that's the beauty of all the tastes that we have. We all have different tastes and different styles, and we get to enjoy more with that. The good news, the gospel, is like great bread. The word of God is great bread. We could have had it earlier, like in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic manuscripts that later turned into Latin and eventually became what I would refer to as the Volkswagen Beetle version known as the King James. Because it was, you, you do realize this, that when they made the King James Version Bible, it was supposed to be like the Beetle, everybody's car, the people's car. And so this Bible was supposed to be the people's Bible. Everybody loved speaking like that, apparently, and they loved to read it that way. But just as the Beetle has had its time, 300 years passed by with the King James, and then we went crazy with our toppings. 
Oh my goodness, we have so many different Bibles now. I mean, we have Bibles for the women, Bibles for the men, Bibles for kids, for action players, for cooks, for mechanics. We have Bibles for short people and tall people, Bibles for good-looking people like myself. I mean, all sorts of Bibles. That's funny. There are all sorts of Bibles that take place outside there. Thankfully, the bread is strong and can handle all the different toppings. But here lies our dilemma. What if we're not eating good bread? Right? What if we're not eating good bread? What if we're eating that wonder bread? You know the wonder bread that's actually artificial? What if you've gone to Subway, dare I say it, and you've eaten that bread that has plastic built inside it? You know this? They just removed the plastic a few months ago. They made their bread and they have plastic inside the bread so that it would last longer inside you forever. But they just admitted this and removed it. So what if that was the kind of bread we're eating when it comes to the good news? What if we don't understand what the good news is about? And how do we stay faithful all the way to the end? Well, let me give you some history here with Roman good news. Julius Caesar, made famous by Shakespeare, never became emperor because he was, uh, he was what? I can see you all read Shakespeare. Here he was, what happened to Julius Caesar? He was assassinated. He was assassinated by Cassius and Brutus in 44 BC, which is where we get the famous phrase, et tu Brutus, and you Brutus of all people. And if you've ever watched a Shakespeare play or been part of one, then you'll know that it takes about an hour for them to die uh, because they run around saying, yes, I die, I die. And they run to the other side of the stage, I'm still dying. And that's the way it goes on. But there was civil war in Rome. Octavian and Mark Antony were the allies, and uh, they struggled together quite a while for a while until there was a power struggle, then they split. And as a famous battle on September 2, 31 BC, Mark Antony lost his edge. He lost a battle to Octavian out at sea, and he went running home to Cleopatra in Egypt, and as a result of losing the battle, they decided to take their own lives. Imagine now that you lived in Rome at that time, Imagine all the alliances that you would have to be made and to be broken. Were you on Julius Caesar's side and his son, Octavia? Or were you on Mark Antony's side? It is, and I would suggest, that it is more scandalous, more difficult than the TV series West Wing, Scandal, and House of Cards rolled into one. That's the kind of pressure that they faced. The fact that you all went, oh, means you watch it and I'm going to pray for you more. They also did not have the internet. <laughs> So the messengers would rush out and everybody would wait. Now, what is the phrase? What is the phrase in Roman times? Wait for it. Can you guess? What is the phrase that everybody would use? It would be good news. Isn't that interesting? When the messenger arrived, he would say, I have good news. Good news because it was the mantra for the Octavia. He had won the battle. He was now emperor of the world. Good news. Good news, his victory is over all his enemies. Good news, peace is at hand. Good news, he will soon be named Augustus. Good news. And for those of you who are into spelling bees and love etymologies, the word gospel derives from the old English word Godspell, meaning good news or glad tidings. That's what it's about. So when you open Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and you read the very first verse, Gospel is often interchanged for good news. Depends on which Bible you're actually reading inside, but the same idea is inside there. So in my personal Bible, the ESV, I will read in the beginning of the Gospel. But inside the NIV, it says, in the beginning of the good news. 
Good news and gospel are one and the same thing. Is the gospel good news? Is good news today the gospel? Are you like, oh, I just heard the gospel. That's good news. Is Christianity even good news? Is that good news and good bread that always had been, everything been stripped away? Do you feel you need to add something to the gospel in order to make it really good news? At the time of Jesus, it was good news. And I contend that today, it is still good news. It will always be good news. But, unlike Pastor Jay, we don't know how to bake bread well. We disguise our bread with even more complex toppings. And sometimes we even toast the bread. You know, what, you know, that's why you toast bread, right? Because the bread tastes so bad, you have to toast it. Then it's like, oh, now it's good bread again. And that's what we do. We toast bread because it's not good on its own, which is the same for the good news. If you were supporting Mark Antony in, in, instead of Octavian, who would you be on? Which side would you be on? How would you feel when the good news arrived? Would you be like, wow. Octavian Augustus is now in charge. I feel so good about that. Is the good news good for you? Do you think that you would respond to the good news by saying, good news was okay for him, but not okay for me? Well, this is the difficulty. When the messenger arrived and told them the good news, good news was never a proposal. Good news was never a suggestion. Good news was never politically correct. Good news always caused a reaction. Good news demanded a response. And good news showed that the world would never be the same again. Do you see that? Do you see that? The Apostle Paul understood this really, really well. He used a lot of toppings to express good news all the time. But he always delivered the bread. And by the time you got to the bread, you always understood that you were stronger for it. When you read, and he writes this to the, in 1 Thessalonians, when you read his, one of his first letters out there expressing the good news, this is how they reacted. For they themselves, reporting concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, have now turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The good news has changed the whole world. The true God is here. He has broken all the scientific rules you could ever imagine. He rose from the dead. You can't explain that. You can't describe it. You can't even see it. But Paul says later on in 1 Timothy 2.7 that he was a herald. A herald, the person who delivers good news. For this, I was appointed a preacher, and other translations call it a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So what is truth? What is good news? Maybe this quote will help you from N.T. Wright. He was explaining that at the time of Christ, there were some things that if you saw this take place would define that this was good news. He says this, there has to be, number one, an announcement of an event that has happened. Did John the Baptist do that? Yes. Number two, a larger context and a backstory which makes sense. Were they waiting for a Messiah? Yes. Number three, a sudden unveiling of the new future that lies ahead. Did Jesus preach that? Yes. And number four, a transformation of the present moment sitting between an event that has happened and the further event that will still happen, Jesus Christ's resurrection. His death 
and his resurrection turned that all around. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he says, when we follow these rules, for I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to even 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The apostles wrote the Gospels, the good news, as a record of Jesus' ministry. And in fact, one third of the Gospels spend all their time on the final week of Jesus' life because it changed the world. When Octavian became emperor, it changed the world. You weren't prepared for it, you didn't know how to respond to him, it changed the world. The bread has caused his hometown to become uncomfortable with him. The bread will cause us to become uncomfortable. The bread has held those disciples together when they go two by two to a house and they share the gospel and they have to shake the dust off their feet. And the bread will hold us together. The bread held John the Baptist as he ate and lived his last few days because the bread is strong and it will sustain him. And it is the gospel. It is not, and this will scare you for some of you, it is not about a personal relationship with God. It is not about the end of the world, and it's not a banking system to make sure that we, one day when we die, everything will be okay. It is not the celebration of Easter or of Christmas, and it is not just good advice. The good news is bigger than all of that. It has it, but it is way more. It is now and it is in the future, and it is that God has taken this planet back. And if he's taken this planet back, then he's in charge. And if he's in charge, then everything is going to turn around. And he will keep us faithful to the end. I have lost count of all the hospital visits that I've done in my life. I've lost count of all the moments when people cry or break down in front of me. I've lost count of all the suicide attempts that we've had to talk to. I've lost count of all the broken relationships and marriages and friendships. I've lost count of all the lack of forgiveness and acceptance that takes place. And I think in part the reason why I've lost count is because I have this hope that it's going to be okay for all of those people, that there's a solution always for those people. But I have never forgotten every time that I've stood by somebody and I have seen their last breath leave their body. I have never forgotten a burial or a service where somebody's laid into the ground. Because then I have to hold ever so tightly to the good news. Because the good news is that Jesus has broken every rule you could imagine. Everything that you think is normal. And he's taken this planet back. And I hold to that bread and that good news that Jesus is always going to be faithful to the end. So today I have one question for you. Who do you need, know that needs to hear the good news? That's what you share.